Good evening. It's time for us to get started tonight, if we can, please. I think we're missing uh, a few folks tonight. It may be the weather-centered some, but we are glad that you're here. And we are honored to welcome those who may be visiting with us tonight. Thank you so much for coming our way. And uh, uh, don't leave too quickly. Give us a chance to express that to you. Hope you'll make your plans to be here on Sunday morning for our worship service together at 9.30. And then on Sunday evening at 5 o'clock, we'll have excellent classes for all ages. I hope you'll make your plans to be there for that. Uh, please be sure that you get one of the bulletins before you leave. It will have an update on the sick. I have a couple of additional updates. Uh, Brian Rowland is now at home following successful surgery on his foot in Corinth. It was extensive surgery, but uh, he's doing well enough to go home and we're thankful for that. Also, Sister Sue Mason is having uh, several health issues and uh, she requests that we remember her in our prayers. Let's continue to remember uh, Brother Ken Forrest and JT Beard as they are in Guyana. I heard from Anita tonight uh, that they're kind of back in some civilization now. And so uh, we look forward to their coming back to us sometime late tomorrow night. And uh, I'm sure that they'll have some exciting things to tell us about the good work that they've been involved in. Uh, do keep in mind all the information, uh, the things going on with Bible Bowl. If you've not registered, please do so. Uh, I've got uh, something that you need to put on your calendar. Uh, Kindergarten through sixth grade trunk or treat and costume contest is going to take place on October the 29th, and that'll be following our classes, and we'll give you a few more details, but just note that on Sunday night, October the 30th. Uh, Salt, Salt Team 2 will have a taco nacho meal in the annex after classes this coming Sunday night. Of course, tomorrow... Uh, is the second Thursday of the month, and we will have the food pantry in the clothes closet. If you'd like to help with that, we'd love to see you. Uh, the, well, I thought there was an item there that might be listed, but it's not tonight. But if you would love to come and help with that, we would certainly appreciate it. Tomorrow, the first Thursday, generally is the busiest time. Also, uh, I believe that's all the announcements that I have. I'll make sure that I don't leave out anything as I did before. And I believe that's it. For our uh, devotional tonight, Chris Langley is going to be leading our singing. And uh, Tommy Barragona will dismiss us in prayer. Good evening. If you will mark in your books number 907. As the song of invitation, we'll sing uh, the first verse of that song at the appropriate time. And then flip over to number 467. We'll sing the first verse of that as well. 467, we have an acre. Will your anchor hold in the storms of
all of us are familiar with the proverb, actions speak louder than words. Uh, many trace this particular proverb back to the English interpretation of a sermon by St. Antony of Padua in the 1200s. And one translation reads from this sermon, actions speak louder than words. Let your words teach. Let your actions speak. We are full of words, but empty of actions. Now, of course, the exact words of this proverb are not recorded in Scripture, although the principle can be found in several epistles as warnings to the early church. For example, we read over in 1 John 3 and verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. The Bible says in James 2 and verse 17, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Or you think about Romans chapter 2 and verse 13, which says, For it is not the hearers of the law that are righteous before God, but the doers of the law which shall be justified. And so in principle, we can see that very vividly. Actions speak louder than words throughout the Bible. Now, we need to keep in mind that the church was very young when these original words were recorded. However, it seems like even though the church was young in the first century, churches were already showing a habit of professing and hearing the gospel while their actions said otherwise. And regardless of whether the church was culturally Jewish or Gentile, it seems like that this was a persistent issue. And so widespread was the problem that John and James and Paul each felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to warn different churches about the importance of their actions. Now, I want to ask you a question. If that was a persisting problem back in the first century, do you think it's a problem that we might have today? You know, how often have we talked and heard about the forgiveness of God and we talk about the wondrous mercy and grace of God, and yet we may harbor grudges and ill will towards somebody and we refuse to be unforgiving. How many times have we heard about and sung about unity in the church and working for the Lord while denying church ministries our particular talents in areas where you know, we might find some discomfort? You see, all of us need to hold up a mirror and we need to look in that mirror and resolve that we're going to do a better job in regard to putting our faith into action. Yes, it's true that actions speak louder than words. In fact, words without action is useless. It's vain. So tonight, I hope you'll think about your life. It may be that you need to change some things in your life. Maybe you need to resolve to do more for the Lord, to become more involved, to become more active in your faith. Or maybe tonight you need to demonstrate your faith by obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can do that tonight by allowing your faith to lead you to change your life and repentance 
And you can be baptized into Christ tonight for the forgiveness of sins. And so tonight, if you're subject to heaven's invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. Sing this song as our teachers are dismissed to the classes. Please be seated. Will you bow with me? Our Father, we are truly thankful for all of the many blessings that you bestow upon us. And Father, tonight we're thankful for the blessings that you have poured out upon this church. And we pray that you'll continue to bless us. We pray that you'll be with JT and Ken as they travel tomorrow coming back to us, that you'll keep them safe and bring them home safely. Father, we pray that you'll be with the group of ladies that will be traveling this weekend, that you'll look, over, look out over them and make sure they make it to their destination and back. Father, be with us that as we go out through this world, that people can see the love of Jesus living in us and they'll want to come and see what's going on in a congregation like this. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 953. I think I said 653, but 953. If you were able to get out after the rain you might have caught a rainbow and that's why i chose this song after we need much needed rain we've been blessed with I'll sing the first verse and then we'll be dismissed to our classes
and uh, resume here in our studies of the conversions in the book of Acts a couple of weeks ago when Ken had initially asked me to fill in for him. He had asked me to do last week and this week, but I was out of town last week and was not able to, so I appreciate Jeremy for uh, filling in in that session, but uh, we'll go ahead, uh, turn back over to Acts 10, and I know that Jeremy covered at least some of this uh, last week, and so I appreciate that, but we'll do a little bit of review here, and then we'll try to cover maybe a little bit more that maybe perhaps there wasn't uh, time to cover, but chapter 10, of course, uh, covers the account of the conversion of Cornelius. We're told a little bit about him uh, in this particular text. And then once we uh, get through here, we'll go on in and we'll look briefly at some things in chapter 11 as well, because we'll see some follow-up uh, here to the events of chapter 10. Uh, I want to say welcome to everyone. We're glad you're here. Uh, especially to those that may be uh, viewing online as well. And we hope that you'll be able to, in the near future, come and visit with us in person. But Acts chapter 10, uh, we'll begin here by looking at uh, verses 1 through 8. Uh, there are just a few highlights here that I want to hit and to uh, go over. Uh, we're introduced, uh, first of all, to the location. The location was the city of Caesarea. Uh, Caesarea had been built by Herod the Great uh, during his time and is said to have been built on some about, I can't recall, 800 or 8,000 acres of land. Uh, so quite a sizable city and uh, given, and it would make sense, given that it was the center of the Roman administration there during the Roman occupation of Palestine there in the first century. And so, of course, if a nation is going to occupy another, what are you going to have to have to enforce that? You're going to have to have a military presence. And that is where Cornelius comes in. Uh, to this, he is described as a centurion of the Italian regiment. Other translations will say Italian band. Uh, that would be the idea of men in the Roman military who were Roman citizens by birth, uh, most likely, whereas most were citizens by default of the occupation. I notice some of the other things that are said about him. Uh, number one, he's described as uh, devout, uh, that is, earnest, sincere in the practicing of whatever faith it was that he may have possessed. Uh, there's some speculation that he may have been a proselyte or that is a non-Hebrew who converted uh, to the Jewish religion. Now, we don't know that for a fact, uh, but that is possible. But regardless, uh, he is portrayed in a very favorable light as are centurions elsewhere uh, in the New Testament. Uh, you see it, uh, for example, just for reference, Matthew chapter 8, uh, the centurion that 
sent for Jesus who had the ill servant. Uh, he told Jesus that he was not worthy that he should come under his roof, roof, but only speak, and my servant will be healed. And on that occasion, Jesus said what? I have not seen such great faith in Israel. Then you go on a little bit uh, later in Jesus' ministry in Mark and Luke's accounts. Uh, you'll see the account of the centurion present at the crucifixion who said, Truly this man was the Son of God. So for whatever reason, uh, centurions are always portrayed in a positive fashion. Perhaps that was their overall character uh, and disposition. And so we, don't, we see that Cornelius was no exception to that. Secondly, uh, he's described as one who feared God. What, what does it mean to fear God? Motivation to follow. I like that, Jim. Thank you. A respect. Okay. Anybody else? Motivation to follow and respect. Absolutely. Uh, and that is exactly what Cornelius uh, possessed. He had, for whatever reason, he, he had a very good heart. He had that motivation uh, to follow what God had said, but as we're going to see, he needed some additional instruction and some guidance. And there are some lessons that we can learn here from Cornelius's character. Uh, we too, especially as Christians, we should have that same desire. Uh, we should be able to be described as devout and as one who fears God or showing that respect uh, to God. Uh, then he's described as one who gave alms, that is, one who was charitable uh, with whatever financial resources that he may have possessed at the time. Now, how he distributed that, we don't know, but we can see that uh, he was very generous with it. Are we known as a people who are generous and charitable? Uh, then he's described as one who prayed continually. I think about uh, Paul's instruction to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where he said to them, pray without ceasing. Uh, that is the idea with consistency, with earnest desire. And that's something that we should all strive to imitate as well. Now that we have this description of him, I want to add this as well. Cornelius was the type of person that I think we would all probably want to have as a neighbor. He is someone that we would want to have in our neighborhood. How are we going to be spoken of? So we need to think about our character and our reputation. But now we come uh, to his vision. Uh, the vision uh, that we see beginning in verse 4 
Uh, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. So we're given the time uh, at which he was praying, verse 3, the ninth hour, or uh, somewhere about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, that is, given the way that the Jews counted and reckoned time, their days were 12 hours, consisting of 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., instead of the 24 hours from 12 o'clock to 12 o'clock, as we count it. Uh, so it would have been a little bit later uh, in the day, and... For the Jews, uh, this was a time of prayer as well. So it would stand to reason that the vision would occur at this time. So again, he's being given instruction. We can parallel that uh, to Saul, of course, back in chapter 9 when he was instructed as well to go into the city and seek Ananias. And there it will be told you what you must do. So we can draw... Uh, that parallel. And so it's important to note here that it was, he was not saved at this point. Uh, that's very important for us to understand. So another question that we need to ask is, how is it that one who is outside of Christ could have his prayers heard and answered? I'd like for you to consider the fact that he may have been in the patriarchal age and righteous before God. You know, uh, Peter was told he would be given the keys to the kingdom, mm -hmm. and he certainly opened that to the Jews in Acts chapter 2. And now the same Peter is going to have a chance to talk to this Gentile. That is very possible. I would thought about that as well, so uh, thank you for articulating uh, that for us. So uh, the patriarchal age, of course, preceding uh, time-wise, they're the uh, law of Moses and that period. And so it could have been that uh, he was living and subjecting himself uh, unto that system as well. Uh, but regardless of what the case might be, uh, Passage and Rick, if you are uh, ready, if you could read for us, please. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. All right, thank you. So again, let's notice what is said here and so let us uh, think about that as we try to answer <clears throat> this question without faith it is impossible to please him what was said to cornelius that what he was doing had come before him as a memorial cornelius had faith what else for he who comes to god must believe that he is well he would not have offered prayers continually to one in whom he did not believe. That would make no sense. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think we can all agree 
that Cornelius was one that was seeking. So I think about this passage often in light of this context. Uh, now, as we, <clears throat> excuse me, almost lost my place. Here we go. Now, as we move on in our text, why of all the people, of all the apostles, why Peter? Why, why not Saul? After all, Jesus said to him, I will show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. He told him that he would be a vessel to the Gentiles. So why not Saul? Why Peter? I've been thinking about that a little bit. And as we look at Simon or Simon Peter, when we look at him in the context of the time of Jesus' ministry, he was at times maybe a little rough around the edges. impulsive and maybe a little bit stubborn sounds like a lot of us and so him coming up in the Jewish faith no doubt he was very knowledgeable he was very accustomed to the law of Moses and the practices and the traditions of it that had been built Not only was Cornelius to learn something, but I'm also convinced that this was just as much of a to be a lesson for Peter as it was for Cornelius. And we're going to see that uh, as we continue on in our text. Uh, do we have any other remarks or questions before we move on any further here? Go ahead, Jim. Well, you've still got Jesus' promise to Peter that he would give unto him the keys of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And if this is the first Gentile convert, then that would be logical that Peter would be the one doing the preaching. That would lead me to believe he was not a proselyte because we have references to proselytes earlier in the church in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So, so if, if he were a proselyte, it doesn't fit the category. I think he was a pure Gentile. And, that, and this that is might be the case. of Jesus' prophecy to him. Okay, and that's important to remember. Uh, Jesus did make that promise. And to you, I'm giving the keys to the kingdom. Well, what does a key do? Well, locks, unlocks, it opens and closes. All right, so uh, I appreciate that. I hadn't thought about it that way, so I may have a little more studying to do there. So thank you. Uh, but regardless, this was going to be a good experience uh, for him to put that into practice. So we uh, continue on in verse 9. And again, we won't, <clears throat> we won't read it. Uh, 
But notice Peter is also in his time of prayer, the sixth hour. Uh, so we would be looking at about 12 o'clock or noon. And then notice he became very hungry and wanted to eat. We're told he fell into a trance. And then what did he see? This uh, she, all four corners, all animals, beasts, creeping things, birds. And then the Lord sang to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And here we see a little bit of that stubbornness coming through. Nothing common or unclean has entered my mouth. Again, that strict adherence to the law of Moses. Now, the new covenant was in force. But you still had those who were trying to cling to the law of Moses as well. And that's the whole theme of the book of Hebrews as well. Addressing those matters, and you see it in the book of Acts as well. You get over to chapter 15 especially. Uh, you'll see that coming into play. But nonetheless, three times he saw this vision. And notice verse 15. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Uh, Rick, would you read for us again, please? First uh, Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. All right, thank you. Now, in that context, you back up to verse 1. Paul is speaking of the things that are going to happen, uh, as he calls it here in the New King James, the latter times or the last days when he says that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Well, what was one of those doctrines? Commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. All right, so that's the context of that statement. But what is being conveyed there is that all things were created by God. The mentality from where Peter was coming, again, was the law of Moses, and you can go back to that. You can go back, uh, for example, to Leviticus chapter 11, and you can see there a whole great listing of all the uh, various things that Israel was to abstain from eating because God had declared it to be unclean. But under the new covenant, all this was declared to be Clean. Now this isn't, back in Acts 10, I contend this is about more than just what type of meat he could or should eat. There's a deeper lesson here. And that lesson is, number one, that it was time to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And secondly, and we need to think about this as well with regards to our attitudes. 
We have no right to withhold the gospel from anyone. Sometimes we might let, if we're not careful, we might let our personal prejudices and biases, and we all have them, get in our way. We need not let that happen. So then we see, as we can come down to verse 17, we see Peter contemplating this and trying to figure out what, these, what this meant. And so it just so happened, not coincidentally, I'm convinced, that Cornelius' delegation, those that he had sent, arrive where Peter was staying. And so... As this is happening, he's given instruction by the Spirit. Three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down with them, doubting nothing, for I have <coughs> excuse me, sent them. So he is given instruction to go, and we see him going. Notice verse 22. They describe Cornelius in the same fashion that the penman of Acts does as well, and notice again, it says that he has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. Uh, so again, we can say what we will about that, but again, someone of good character. And so they begin their journey to the city of Joppa, some 30 miles or so from Caesarea. Now we think 30 miles isn't that big of a deal, but we have to remember in the first century, Travel was not quite as advanced and as comfortable as it is today. So it would have taken more time, a whole lot more time, to make that journey uh, then than it would today. Uh, so we continue on uh, here, in our, uh, here in our text. Uh, when we come down... As Peter arrives in Caesarea, we notice, first of all, that not only was it Cornelius, but notice we're told that he had called together his relatives and close friends. Now, we're not told who these relatives were. Could have been siblings, could have been a spouse, children. Uh, who knows? But regardless, they were of some relation to him. And then his friends. Here's a man that also was concerned about the spiritual welfare and the state of his loved ones. Sometimes, for whatever reason, in some cases, the ones that are the closest to us can be the most difficult to talk to. Remember what Jesus said? That a man's enemies would be those of his own house. But we see an exception to that here with Cornelius. He cared about his loved ones. He cared enough to bring them in to hear what Peter was going to say. Notice as well, uh, verse 25, as Peter is coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter, 26, lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a 
man. Just as a side note, there's a, of course, I'm sure you've all heard it, a very uh, common doctrine and teaching that Peter was the first or the founding pope of the Roman Catholic Church. And what they'll tell you is that in Matthew 16, when Jesus said, up on this rock, I will build my church, they try to maintain that Peter was the rock. The rock that Jesus was speaking of was Peter's confession of faith. All right, now the reason I bring that up is because some will maintain that. And one of the practices, of course, you'll see it, you've probably seen it in photographs, maybe in videos, you know, when someone travels to visit the Pope, it's almost as though it's obligatory that they kneel before him and they'll kiss his ring and all of those things. But yet here we see Peter refusing to be worshipped, saying, I am also a man. Twenty-eight, Peter goes on, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. Again, referring to the law of Moses. You can go all the way back through Exodus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and on you can go and you'll see all of these <coughs> interactions that had been prohibited with the Canaanite nations. Well, why was that? Because they were going to lead Israel into idolatry and lead them astray. Peter makes that observation, but then he contrasts that. But God has shown to me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So if you're still having any doubt about that vision of the animals... That should be erased. It's clear that he was talking about people. Notice he says that I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. And then he asks this question, for what reason have you, Peter speaking to Cornelius, for what reason have you sent for me? And then we see Cornelius recalling what he had seen as well. Notice there's that statement again, verse 31. Cornelius, your prayers, your prayer rather, has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. So again, a statement concerning his faith. Now notice what he says in 33. Now therefore we are all present before God to hear all, all the things commanded you by God. How great would it be if everyone that we tried to share the gospel with had the heart of Cornelius? It would make our work a lot easier, wouldn't it? Amen. Yes, it would. Let's take encouragement from this. 
let us remember that there are, so to speak, some Corneliuses out there somewhere that are searching and are just waiting for someone to come to hear all things commanded by God. All right, uh, any questions, comments on this section? All right, so we come on down uh, verses 34 through 43, and we see here uh, Peter preaching uh, to Cornelius. And then notice he says, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Faith. The practice of faith. So we can see this barrier, so to speak, being torn down here. And I have a reference here in my notes. Uh, I'll get a little bit ahead of myself here. But I'll give you for your reference sake Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. And I would encourage you to read and to study that, especially in uh, this context. Uh, but notice what Peter preaches. Uh, let's see here. Let's begin at uh, verse 36. Uh, Rick, would you read there for us out of Acts 10, uh, verses 36 through about 38, please? Or, I'm sorry, through about verse 40? Acts 10, 36 through 40. Correct. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. All right, thank you. So notice how succinct uh, Peter is uh, with his message. Notice the simplicity of that message. He began by preaching... Jesus. Number one, he is Lord of all, proclaimed throughout all Judea. He makes reference to John's work. And then Jesus' purpose, doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And then notice 39, and we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. So he started with the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and then he went right through to the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That is the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ.
Now notice verse 42 as well. He commanded us. Well, who is the us? The apostles. Well, why them? Because they were the ones that were delegated to carry on the work after Jesus' ministry on earth came to a close. To him all the prophets witnesses witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Now let's pay close attention to the wording there. Those who believes in him will receive remissions of sin. Remission of sins. That word there, believes or believe, when you see that, for example, here, or in Acts 22, uh, 16, that's an example I like to use as well uh, with the account of Saul. Believe stands for the entirety of faith. For example... We can, there is something that we can believe in. But how strongly do we believe in it? Are we willing to act upon that belief? So what I'm saying is, is that belief necessitates action. And so when Peter says that, he is talking about the entirety of, of what had been commanded by God. Do we have anything else here on 34 through 43? All right, well, we'll go ahead here and uh, we will uh, look here briefly at verses 44 through uh, 48. And admittedly, this is a little bit of a difficult section. Uh, but it is not something that cannot be understood. Uh, notice while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. That would be Cornelius, his house, his family, and his friends. Then we see the response of the Jews, verse 45, those of the circumcision, that is the Jews who had accompanied Peter, who believed and were astonished as many as came with Peter because notice the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Now we can draw some parallels here back to Pentecost in chapter 2. For example, we see uh, when the Spirit came upon the apostles, those that were present heard them speak in their own native tongue. All right, and that is what we have happening here. Now, uh, this, I would maintain, is a further fulfillment uh, of prophecy. Uh, for example, you have Isaiah uh, chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Uh, then you have Joel's prophecy, Joel chapter 2, verse 17, which was, of course, quoted by Peter. Uh, in Acts 2 and verse 17, that in the last days, what? I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So we see a continuation of that here. Now, 
let us be careful uh, here and let us think about it because again, there are those out here that and very sincerely, you know, like we like to emphasize, I'm not trying to attack anyone's uh, sincerity or their uh, convictions, but they will take this passage and they will maintain that this right here was the salvation of Cornelius and his house. Now notice he says that they received the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is exactly what Peter had told the audience of Pentecost in chapter 2 that they would receive. He did not say that they would receive the Spirit, but the gift of the Spirit. And there's a lot of debate uh, there over what exactly is meant by that, but we do need uh, to emphasize that because it is very important to our understanding. But in this context, we can see, and it may be the case in Acts 2 as well, that it was the speaking in tongues. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And when we talk about speaking in tongues in this context, we're talking about the ability to speak another language. I cannot do that. I struggle enough with English. Don't ask me to speak something else because I'm not going to be able to do it. Uh, but that is the ability that they were given in this moment. Now, how is it that we can know that Cornelius was not yet saved at this point? Uh, Rick, would you read there for us, please, verses 47 and 48 of Acts 10? 47 and 48. Correct. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to, care, to tarry certain days. All right, thank you. Notice verse 47. Can anyone forbid water? If he were already saved, then why would there be need for water? Well, the question uh, largely answers itself because that is what they needed to do. And so it is here we see for the first time the Gentiles not only hearing the gospel, but we also see them Believing and acting upon that belief in faith. Uh, then it says, then they asked him, that is Peter, to stay a few days. Uh, now, we can ask what would the purpose of that would be. I would, I would contend that it was probably for the purpose of giving further instruction and teaching. Uh, for example, in chapter 2. Uh, thereafter they were, those some 3,000 were baptized, were told what? That with many other words he exhorted them. So undoubtedly there would be some ongoing instruction. And I'll tell you, I would love to know what became of Cornelius after this. But we're not told. So we'll just have to let the information that we're given here suffice. Uh, does anybody have 
an approximation of about how much time we have left. Okay, I'll try to be as succinct as possible here. So, uh, we'll briefly go through uh, some things here in chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 18. This, this is a continuation of that. Uh, so, verses 1 through 3, uh, we see a summary of the preceding events of chapter 10. Uh, so, there's not really a whole lot we need uh, to say about that, but I will add this, that however long it was that Peter remained in Caesarea with Cornelius, it was obviously enough time for word of this to already have traveled back to Jerusalem. Uh, so again, a lot of distance there, but nonetheless, there were brethren that already knew of it. Now, <coughs> excuse me, I'm so sorry. Uh, but when we come to verse 2, Peter came up to Jerusalem. Those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. <coughs> Again, that strict, stubborn adherence to the law of Moses. Now, again, these were Jews who had converted to Christianity and they were trying to, I guess we could say, have it both ways. Uh, so they were thinking again, kind of that same mentality. And then we see uh, Peter beginning to explain to them what had happened. And again, we see everything that had happened uh, in chapter 10. So then when we came here, or excuse me, when we come on down uh, here, we can see, notice verse 18, when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Now, the accusation that they made in verse 2, this is precisely why Peter took others with him, no doubt. We're told that he had six with him. So they could put to rest any and all questions that might have arisen about this matter. So, let us with the uh, remaining time that we have, <coughs> we too are going to have critics, just as Peter had on this occasion, and let us be able to speak in such a way that we might be able to change their disposition. Because notice how satisfied that they were with this. But other lessons that we need to learn Number one, going back to chapter 10 in a very brief summary, is that we will not be saved by works. Think about Cornelius. Think about the way that he's described in this text. It, could have, it would have been very easy for him to have argued that because he was doing all these good works, that there was nothing else that he needed to do. But yet he didn't do that. 
He listened to the message and he accepted it. Uh, we need to remember, secondly, that our personal prejudices are not a reason to not share the gospel. And that we have no right to withhold it from anyone. Uh, so those are some of the things that I wanted to share with you about that. Uh, again, before we dismiss uh, for the evening, uh, do we have any final questions or comments on any of this? Okay, well, if not, uh, I guess we'll go ahead and uh, stop here. And I do appreciate your attention and your uh, participation. And have a great evening. And God willing, we'll all meet here again.